0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Royal Lions Radio. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo, joined tonight by my co-host, Matt DeBear. Matt, go crew.
1: Go crew. This has been um, a darn near perfect uh, sports weekend for me. That doesn't happen very often when you are (laughs) Penn State sports, Cleveland sports. It's an an odd feeling to have everything kind of fall into place.
0: Yes, uh, because my guess is most people listening to this podcast don't follow major league Soc- soccer the columbus crew uh essentially uh sent out their stadium which has which has this, like, revered place in American soccer folklore out in style. They'll play a few more games for all intent. Like, this is basically the last really important match they'll play there. Uh, Crew won. Matt is a Crew fan, so congratulations to Matt. One of us had to be happy uh, with how our soccer teams played this weekend because Manchester City decided to just not really care against Manchester United. If you want to talk about that, my DMs are open. But we're here to talk about Penn State football. Penn State... Took on Michigan State, picked up a 39-24 to win uh, with it. Penn State moves to 3-5 and five on the year. Uh, weird game. Uh, it started off... Matt, for me, the thing was, it started off very, very frustrating. Um, I thought that Penn State looked like it just did not want to be there, which was really surprising to me. I thought they they were going to come out and have a little bit more of a sense of urgency about them uh, early on. That didn't really happen. Um, just a really gross, really ugly football game. Went into the half with Penn State down 21-10. to 10. It seemed like Again, they were just stuck in first gear, but they ended up getting out of it, uh, ended up having a really big second half, and as a result, closing the regular season on a three game winning streak.
1: You know what? I actually, I'd say they started out pretty well um, the first two or three drives. Um, you know, they got the interception with the weird fumble back, and then they forced the punt. They went right down the field and had the touchdown called back on a questionable holding call, I'll say, then forced another punt, and then they kind of the wheels kind of fell off very quickly. It was, um, you know, it's, you know, momentum is fleeting, I guess, you know, they were kind of in control. The defense was playing really well. Um, and then all of a sudden, uh, Michigan state kind of figured some stuff out and they really struggled to kind of get back into gear in both phases of the game, especially in the defense, which, um, had kind of been trending in the right direction. We talked about it, um, last week when we did a little quick preview of this, um, that they were going to be tested probably in a, in a more substantial way than they had been against Michigan and Rutgers um, for different reasons, but they they came out they they kind of established themselves early and then Michigan State went down and scored three straight touchdowns kind of without much uh, if any um, uh, defense you know thrown up you know they kind of just moved the, the ball up and down the field at will. Um, and the offense just not able to really get anything going um and then, and we 'll talk about this as we go a little bit further into this the second half it 's almost like they were forced to open things up more than they probably were planning on it, and it worked um you know it was it looked like a different offense pretty much every time they touched the ball in the second half it wasn 't consistent it wasn't you know you know the twenty seventeen offense by any means, but it looked more. Engaged, You know, they kind of got their backs pushed to the wall and they had to fight back. And I think it forced them to, to throw the ball a little bit more, it forced them to open things up a little bit more. And they were successful. Um, and I think you saw flashes of what this offense can be. You saw flashes of what the issues remain. Um, but it, um, in a lot of ways, reminded me a little bit of, um, I know that's an oxymoron, it reminded me in a lot of ways of the 2016 Michigan State game when they clinched the Big Ten East where they just couldn't do anything in the first half um a much better team obviously and then much like we saw throughout that 2016 season they just kind of figured some stuff out that you know it's a little different dynamic for a number of reasons but it felt a little bit like that to me where it's like they were forced to do some stuff that they really don't feel comfortable doing for a variety of reasons but it allowed them to to Show a little bit more of the explosiveness of the offense. Show a little bit more variety. I think allow Sean Clifford a little bit more freedom to throw the ball and and, and take some chances in a sense. Um, but yeah, it was it was a a weird start given how the game started over those first couple of drives and then just how quickly it unraveled and then really all it took was twenty minutes at halftime to kind of recompose themselves. Yeah, I mean like like you mentioned,
0: uh, Penn State did get off to a pretty decent start uh there was an interception on michigan state's first drive i've never seen that before matt i've never seen someone pick the ball off uh start to return it and then fumble and then give the other team the ball and uh they got a like they got a possession back and it was first down yet like i couldn't think can you think of a time off the top of your head when you saw that because for me like i I just I, i do not remember
1: The one that sticks out, um, going way back to the uh, the 2002 season, the 2003 um, Fiesta Bowl, uh, Ohio State-Miami, Maurice Claret actually chased down someone from Miami who had, I believe, picked it off. I don't think it was a fumble. And um, literally pulled the ball away from him to um, get the possession back for Ohio State. I've seen it on and off. That's the one that, that really sticks out to me, though. Yeah, I, I remember seeing that happen. I was like, man, is that, that, that,
0: that's, a, that's a weird one. But uh, yeah, come out after that, uh, force a three and out. Offense gets the ball on the Michigan State tw- uh, on its own 29-yard line, marches down the field, punts at the six. Like you mentioned, there was a, uh, what's called a questionable holding call on that. punt. Teams traded punch. Uh, punts, touchdown Michigan State, touchdown Penn State, touchdown Michigan State. And then Penn State uh, things just kind of came to a halt to end the uh, end the quarter. Penn State with a six play drive that was helped out by a pass interference uh, ended up punting there. Michigan State comes back, touchdown, punt, halftime. Uh, Matt, I want to just real quick talk about that first half. I mean, to me, the big difference of the second half was they just looked like they they looked like they woke up and they looked like they were willing to try a few more things. They were willing to let Will Levis throw a bit more. They were willing to let uh, Sean Clifford, you know, attack Michigan State's defense down the field, like that 49-yard touchdown pass to Parker Washington. That was very much a where the hell has this been all year sort of thing. But to me, it really just seemed like in the first half, they were kind of sleepwalking through things. They were just ready for – um you, you know, it felt like we were watching a team that was ready for the season to end. It also just felt like, to me, we were watching the boring, predictable Penn State offense that we've kind of gotten used to seeing all year. And in the second half, they were a little bit more willing to say, like, OK, listen, we know this Michigan State defense is is solid, but you can attack it. Let's go out and attack it. Is that basically uh, your read... What you felt was happening um, during the first half of the game, and then as you know, the tide kind of turned during the game's final half hour.
1: Yeah, I think, uh, like I said, you know, it was. I think their backs were pu- pushed against the wall, and they had to fight back, and that that forced them to open up the offense a little bit more, um, take some of those chances, allow Levis to throw the ball, allow Clifford to to look downfield a little bit more. Um, I think the first half was a lot of the issues, both schematically as well as just emotionally for lack of a better term, of playing at home in an empty stadium at noon. It just it, it's from watching a lot of games this year, especially in the locales where there haven't been fans, the team at home especially, and especially in these early games, just trying to find that that juice, um and something James Franklin's talked about, it feels like since he's been here about um, especially on some of those road Big Ten games. You're going to Northwestern at noon or going to Bloomington at noon. Some of those historically more subdued venues playing an early game, you're bringing your own juice. And I think a lot of teams have struggled this year to find that emotion that you need to play this game when you're in, in a comfortable setting, but without all those things that you're used to. Um, so I think, it just looked like they were out of sorts and um, you know, they, that first drive was so easy. They went right or That first um, scoring drive um, was, you know, they kind of were able to do whatever they want. They went right down the field. They had the holding call and um, it kind of felt like based on the way the defense was playing that, okay, this is going to be, you know, this is going to be a pretty, pretty easy afternoon. And then they got hit in the face and they hadn't really been hit in the face since, before the Michigan game, I guess that would have been what Iowa was who they played before Michigan. They Mm -hmm. hadn't had someone fight back really emphatically like Michigan state did um, in about a month. And I think it kind of stunned them a little bit and getting to the locker room at just 2110, I think was, you know, kind of allowed them to, to reset themselves. I think it was the Maryland game. They had an opportunity late in the half to kind of stop the bleeding, keep it close and they gave up another big play. I think it went from, you know, a, a two-score game to a three-score game or something like that late in the half in the Maryland game, and it just snowballed from there. I think on Saturday they were able to take that punch, kind of steady themselves before it got any more out of hand um in the first half. And they you know used that 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 halftime break to both figure out schematically, okay, what are we going to do to, to, to fight back? And two, I think just to kind of get mentally back into the game. Um, And then, then you saw it, they, you know, um, score, went right down the field in the first drive, punt on the second drive and then um, scored on two, the next two uh, offensive possessions, both pretty impressive drives. Um, You know, one had the big play to Parker Washington, um, but they went right. They went, you know, close to 70 yards both times. So, In a sense, I think it's kind of a microcosm of the season in a lot of ways. You know, they were not right to start, took a while to figure it out, and then they used that second half to to kind of get things right. Yeah, and again,
0: I really think a big part of it was just how much they were willing to attack, particularly in the air in the second half. I'm looking at the drive charts on Penn State scoring drives from the second half. I believe they uh. What is it? Fifteen yards is a big is a big play in the passing game, Matt. If memory serves, if that's how they define it. It's Something like that, right?
1: I think it's like maybe it's fifteen yards rushing, twenty yards passing. It's something along those lines.
0: I think it's fifteen and twelve. Uh, like I could. That double... sounds right. Yeah, we'll go with that. So it's something like that. But as I'm looking, Sean Clifford, sixteen yard pass to uh, Jahan Dotson. Uh, Will Levis, thirty six yard pass to Jahan Dotson. Sean Clifford, twenty six yard pass to Parker Washington. Sean Clifford, 49-yard pass to Parker Washington. Again, it just felt like they were doing something and they were willing to try to push the ball down the field. Trust the fact that Penn State has better athletes at receiver than the other team generally does in its secondary. And we saw Penn State take advantage of that. They had a big play uh, in the special teams game with Jahan Dotson running a punt back for uh 31 yards like just stuff that we haven't been seeing this kind of uh lethargic penn state offense coming to life matt and the thing that makes that so impressive to me is the fact that they did that despite the fact that they couldn't really run the ball at all sean carries uh, sean clifford nine carries 48 yards and a score uh of those 48 31 came on one run Otherwise, Will Levis, 15-36, one score. Kayvon Wee 12-31. Holmes, two for eight. Penn State is a team of 40 carries, 119 yards. uh, Two touchdowns, average of three yards per carry. If you told me, Matt, coming into this game that Penn State was going to average three yards a carry, I don't think I would have felt particularly good about their chances to make something happen here.
1: Yeah, I think... um... And it's one of the things that jumped out to me in the first half. And it's something that we've talked about all season is teams have been daring Penn state to throw the football and against Michigan and Rutgers, um, even though they were daring them to do that, Penn state's offensive front kind of took over the game physically um, really from the start in both those games. That obviously wasn't the case against Michigan state. Um, That's certainly the strength of Michigan state's defenses in the front seven, especially along the line. And I also think Kevon Lee did not look 100%. He left that Rutgers game a week ago um a little banged up in the fourth quarter. He just didn't look like he had the usual quickness. Now I say that and the kid did a, a backflip from a stand, from a, a stand at the end of the game. So no, what rude, do I know? But, um, that was so cool. <laughs> especially when you consider uh what's his name for Iowa did it from a run and uh messed up his foot or ankle um in the the Iowa Wisconsin game. That's a whole other oh. discussion. Um I thought that Michigan State was very committed to forcing Penn State to throw the ball. And I think one of the big things that changed in the second half was Penn State was committed to throwing the ball. Um, they were going to go over the top. And you, you saw it on um, especially the Parker Washington um, the 49-yard touchdown pass, just how aggressive Michigan State was playing downhill. They faked that little screen pass to Dodson, and everyone's already crashed in the line, and they just kept going. And it, it opened up that gap uh, between the corner and the safety for, for Washington to, to get open. Um, but it's just been, it's been the story of the season and they were able to pow- literally power through it in the last two games. And they had to throw out of it um, against Michigan state because that's what was, they were being given. And I think um, that's probably an adjustment that was made in at halftime. And I think it was um, a realization made after seeing what Michigan state was doing, you know, we're not going to be able to overpower them. You know, I can't, how many rushing attempts did you say they had bill 40, something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, they just, you know, try as we might, we're not going to do. I think other than Clifford's 31 yard run, I think their long was nine. Um, and that's just, hasn't been the rushing attack we've seen the last two games. Um, and I think Michigan state deserves a ton of credit for, for seeing what, what Penn state's wanted to do the last two weeks is just, Pound you, pound you, and pound you, and just wear you down, and you know take the game out of their quarterback's hands. They didn't really trust them. Michigan State wasn't going to let them do that, and Penn State eventually made them pay for it. Yeah, and uh,
0: kind of on the other side of things, and to me, this was probably uh, let me let me let me just pull up the game log real quick before I say something that will that will get the folks mad at me. Yeah, I am confident in saying that this was probably the most impressed that I've been with Sean Clifford in some time. Um sick, completed 63% of his passes, 232 yards, two touchdowns. None of them uh, by any stretch was were his best days of the season, but I Just throwing the ball, I was very happy with how just in control he seemed, never really seemed like he was trying to make anything happen. You know, we've spoken about how, we've spoken plenty of times in here about how he has that, like, he has Trace McSorley's um, desire to try and make things happen without Trace's ability to make things happen, and I think that we... um, you know, I think that he's reined that in pretty well the last couple of weeks, and I think that he was able to mix reining that in pretty well with production, um, with being able to do stuff against Michigan State in a way that made me re- makes me really optimistic for the next game or two of the season, and makes me hopeful for uh, what Penn State potentially could have in him uh, as a senior next year uh, and of course they let will levis throw finally um I, i'd still rather they just let sean clifford play quarterback but that's uh that's neither here nor there let's move to the other side of uh, oh and one other thing matt um you know i don't think we need to say a ton else about the offense but just something that i'm gonna say and i'll give you you know 20 seconds to respond to it if you even need 20 seconds to respond to it uh barker washington is real good
1: He's he's surprised me in he, his ability to get open and catch the ball. has not surprised. Me. We talked about that a ton, you know, going back even a year ago when he signed. But what's impressed me is he's his ability in the open field. Um, he had the one play um, down the the left sideline. I can't remember exactly when it came in the game where he got one on one in a guy. And you know, he's certainly not KJ Hamler, but he was able to make a guy miss in the open field. I think that's kind of come with with experience. Um and you know, the, his first touchdown catch, you know, going up and, you know, good throw by Clifford to put it where it needed to be above the defense. Went up and got it confidently. He's just um getting better and better every week and you know, he and, and Dodson have become a really solid one two combo. Yeah, I'm
0: sure we're we're gonna talk about this uh, at the end of the show, but really surprised with what we've seen out of the wide receivers just in general. I mean coming into the season I we thought that was going to be maybe the weak spot of this Penn State offense. But now this year uh, and moving forward, that, that, funny enough, might be the brightest spot on the entire offense. Uh, just moving to the other side of the ball real quick, Matt. Um, looking at the numbers, n- bit of a disappointing game for Penn State's defense, funny enough, which is funny because, you know, they kept Michigan State to 2-for-12, on uh, third downs, they were able to pick off uh, Peyton Thorne, but MSU ended up going with uh, its backup, who might now be a starter uh, in Thorne. They did a really good job uh, reigning in Michigan State's rushing attack, which isn't particularly hard, in fairness, because Michigan State doesn't have much of a rushing attack. All the Jordan Simmons did have a nice day. Uh, 14 carries, 72 yards, 5.2, 5.1 Per carry. Uh, But through the air, I was really disappointed um, with how Thorne and the uh, Michigan State receiving core that I don't think anyone thinks particularly highly of was able to move the ball a bit. Uh, Michigan State had 325 yards in the air. Thorne, 22 for 39, uh, 8.3 yards per attempt, three touchdowns, one interception. there were some positives to take away from the defense. I thought Jaquan Brisker had an outstanding game. Shane Simmons ending, um, ending well not ending is uh, Beaver Stadium career, because they are going to have another game in Beaver Stadium. But seven tackles, one point five sacks, two tackles for loss. Really glad to see what Penn State got out of him. But on the whole, uh, left a bit of a bad taste in my mouth. I thought I expected better out of Penn State's defense, uh, both because of Michigan State and because I thought they had turned a bit of a corner.
1: Yeah, I think the first half was just a an unmitigated disaster. I don't have the numbers right in front of me. I don't know, even know where they exist. But I think Thorne had close to 220 or 230 yards of uh, passing in the first half. And you know what, with over 320. But a big chunk of that in the second half that, you know, we'll say 100 yards or so, came on that last drive when I think Penn State was content to let them, you know, it's a two-score game, you know, let them take their time to go down the field. Don't let them get it all back in one one big chunk. Um. So I think they were much, much better in the second half, from from the the line all the way out to the the defensive backfield. Um, we'll have more about this on the site on Monday with snap counts, but there were some weird things with the rotation, and I don't know if it's a matter of guys banged up or if it's a matter of tra- taking the opportunity, like we've talked about a lot, to try and see what you've gotten some of these guys. Um, while at the same time still trying to win games, um, but they did some weird things with regard to Joey Porter's usage, and they had DaQuan Hardy um, on the outside as opposed to in the slot, and felt like Keaton Ellis and um, Marquise Walker got a, a lot more run than than they had seen. Um, Treat Castrofield still out; it seems like every week we talk about him being back, and then he warms up, and then he doesn't play, so we're not really sure what's going on there, but. Um, I think it's uh, it's much like the offense to the tail of two halves. They came out in the second half and really didn't go up anything. They gave up the, the field goal. Um, I can't remember on what drive that was because I got rid of the the, the drive chart here. Um, but the the field goal early on that cut to 24-18 was really the only sustained drive that Michigan State had until the very end of the half. Um, if you go you know, 23 yards and a punt. Then they had the 51 yards for the field goal. And after that field goal, they punted after going backwards, 10 yards, their next drive, they punted after th- uh, three plays and four yards. That was the the Dodson return. Then on the next drive, they went backwards, 15 yards and punted. And on their next drive, uh, three yards and punted after five plays. And they went 65 yards on that, uh, or 66 yards on the, the final drive of the game. Um, so they they certainly corrected things during that long spell from really the the middle part of the third quarter to the end of the game. Um, they were able to get pressure. I think they they brought more pressure from from the linebackers. I didn't um, a little bit from the defensive backfield, but um, I th- I just felt like they got more aggressive. Um, they were going to make life more difficult on Thorn. Um, it felt like just without seeing. Some of the, the wide-angle shots, it felt like the secondary covered better and allowed the pass rush more time to get home, too. Uh, it was just, you know, a first half where they weren't doing anything well and a second half where they were doing pretty much everything pretty well. So it's, um, you know, the question is, is it are they the, the team that played in the first half or the team that played in the second half and, you know, really from much of that Michigan and Rutgers game? Yeah, I I mean... God,
0: I, 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 I don't even know. Like it's weird because the defense very much did turn things down. I turned things around in that second half, but I still, again, have a bit of a bad taste in my mouth. Um, story in the Detroit free press and and I'm going to read this quote to, uh, show some, show some credit to Penn state's defense. um, by Chris Solari headline why Michigan state football started hot versus Penn state, but petered out in the second half. Um, Thorne credited the running game, uh, for getting things into a rhythm to start the game. Uh, then in the, in regards to the second half, it was absolutely execution from our standpoint. Oh, this is uh, Michigan State coach Mel Tucker. It was absolutely execution from our standpoint. I think they were maybe a little more aggressive, but there was plays to be made, and we still, we still made plays in the second half. We just were not able to make them on a consistent basis. Um, so I don't know. I, I haven't gone back and watched the game close enough to look and see whether or not the second half was a matter of – you know, Michigan State had stuff, and they just weren't executing. Or Penn State was able to turn up the heat a little bit, and were able to kind of get them out of a rhythm. Uh, I do think they probably they they probably got w- with just some of the haymakers that it felt like Michigan State threw that served as a bit of a wake up call for them because I don't think anyone anticipated uh, Michigan State's offense coming up coming out as. Um, Willing to willing to throw haymakers as they were, you know, we talked about big plays just a second ago. On their three touchdown drives, there was a 45 yard pass, uh, which uh, you know, as previous which went for a touchdown, a twenty-one yard pass, a twenty-six yard pass that went for a touchdown, a thirty-seven yard pass, a nineteen yard pass. So there was more attacking than I think anyone could have anticipated. But credit to Penn State's defense turning things around. Um I don't really have much else to talk about with this game, Matt. If there are any final things that you want to say, and any final big takeaways, by all means. But I do want to uh, do a bit of a season wrap up since we are moving on to uh, what is nominally the postseason in the next at least uh, one football game.
1: I think that the two things that I would I would mention were the two things you mentioned kind of in your opening statement. There was uh, Brisker's game, um, you know, nine total tackles, uh, one and a half for a loss. Um, I believe he's the one who had the interception and the fumble. And then Shane Simmons is a guy that we've been talking about for um, five and a half years. We actually went back and looked. He committed in July of 2014, so he's a a name that has been associated with Penn State for um, for over. Six years now, so um, good to see him. um, You know, his final regular season game, we'll say, um, assuming that he does opt to uh, to pursue uh, an NFL career or professional career after this year. Um, Good to see him kind of have that that one big game, Um, and he was very noticeable too. I thought with Jason No Way out with uh, what James Franklin called a just a minor injury by all accounts. Um, Good to see him step up into that spot in in his um, turns out penultimate big uh, Beaver Stadium game. Really. Really put together a nice game. Yeah,
0: I mean Simmons is a guy that I think every Penn State fan has uh, has really been rooting for for uh, for some time. Just like you mentioned that when I, I think when I we were talking in you know just in our Slack, like God, when did Shane Simmons commit? I said twenty fifteen, and I thought I might have been a little bit too early. Um, but no. Like I, I was, I was late. He committed a year earlier. Like I have it, uh, I, I, I have his twenty four seven profile up in front of me. Uh, it goes so far back that I'm looking in 2015, and it's in, uh, Shane Simmons just v- visiting Penn State. He committed on July 30th of 2014. Like my man committed before the 2014 midterm election. Like LeBron was still on the heat when this happened. Just wild, uh, wait, would LeBron still been on the heat at this? No, no. He would have just joined the uh, Cavs at, uh, would
1: not have played with the Cavs again. Correct. He
0: would have just, uh, joined the Cavs at this point. But yeah, like going back, just, he got his first college offer on September 1st of 2012. Uh, that was from UNC Penn state offered him on May 7th of 2014. Like dude has, you know, he, he's he been in the blue and white forever. Um, you know, his body's betrayed him, which has really been the big thing to uh, that, that is, I think has kept him from being potentially the five-star recruit that he could end up being. And seeing him go out, well, see him put this out there uh, as he's on his way out the door was uh, very, very, very impressive. Um, Penn State, like Matt alluded to, is... Uh, indeed, going to have one final home game. Uh, it was announced today that as part of the Big Ten's weird um cross division end of year thing, uh, that the Nittany Lions are going to play the two and five, uh, Illinois Fighting Illini. Uh, the Fighting Loveys, although they are no longer the Fighting Loveys because they parted ways with Lovey Smith today. Uh, that game is going to kick off this upcoming weekend, five thirty PM kick at Beaver Stadium on FS one. We'll be talking about that uh a little a little bit later in the week, obviously. Uh but before we you know, we'll give some quick illinois thoughts at the very end, but I want to do just kind of like a general season wrap up uh sort of thing. Because for all intents and purposes, the season is over now. Like this is uh, you, you know, this is some weird version of the post season, but Matt, I have a few things that I've listed out here. Uh, and I think the first thing that I want to start with are just general thoughts on this season. Um, certainly different than what we thought they were going to be coming into the year.
1: Yeah. And it's, you know, you go back to, you know, we'll just say March 1st and, um, um, you know, the, the recruiting momentum, the the buzz around spring practice about to start, um, you know, Micah Parsons is the Heisman candidate, Journey Brown, you know, what's he going to do as, as the guy? And then, I mean, that feels like like a lifetime ago. And that's, you know, just in a football sense, not even thinking about just all the the the, the stuff going on all around us um, all over the world. But um, it's, you know, there's no other word other than disappointment that that comes to mind. Um, you know, obviously all of the non-football things that have impacted the year, um, you, you can't look at this season without that in mind because it's clearly had an impact. You just you look all over the country and um you know a lot of weird stuff has happened um for and to a lot of teams. Um but you can make a case, and Bill, you mentioned this oh, probably close to, to a month and a half ago now, um, that there were at least at one point this year, there wasn't a more disappointing team in the country than Penn State. Um and there's a, a whole litany of reasons that go into that. You know, whether it is Micah Parsons opting out and Journey Brown, unfortunately, his, his career cut short. Pat Fryermuth, um, you know, getting injured in the Ohio State game, and, and then a couple weeks later opting out of the rest of the season um, due to injury. Um, you know, Noah Cain going down in the first series of the game uh, against Indiana. Just the whole the way the whole Indiana game played out. Um, it's just been kind of one one haymaker after the other. But with all that said, I think um we'd be remiss if we didn't credit the the team and the coaching staff and the players and and everyone involved with the way they've they've at least righted the ship. I'm not going to say they've turned it around because I think um you know there are still, still still questions to be addressed and issues to be addressed in, in, in the offseason and what will hopefully be more of a normal offseason um, as as things get somewhat back to normal here in the next few months. But I think coming out of that I.O. game at 0-5 and, and really just nothing had gone right um, since, we'll say, the, the long touchdown pass from Sean Clifford to Jahan Dodson in Bloomington back in week one, they hadn't really had something go right since that play, really. It felt like um, it had just been the snowball going downhill, going into Michigan and a team with its own issues. But um, I think that we were not alone if we were kind of looking at ourselves wondering, is this going to be, a, you know, are they going to win a game this year? Because just nothing had looked good. They looked out of sorts. The quarterback position was just a mess. Um, and between improved play, um, you know, having some stuff go right finally at Michigan, they have righted the ship in a year where it would have been really, really easy to just, um, you know, mail it in at 0 and five, you know, we're not playing for anything. Um, You know, we're not able to live any sort of normal college life um, because of this bubble we put ourselves in. Let's just, you know, you know, let's just punt on the year and, and try again next year. And they didn't. And I think a lot of people starting with, with the players, especially, but also the coaching staff deserve a lot of credit for how they have, at least steadied things in the last three weeks. I I think my general thoughts are twofold. One,
0: there was going to be a program in college football where everything went wrong and that ended up being Penn state. And that's unfortunate. I'm trying to choose my words very, very carefully here. Um, that doesn't mean that it's okay that you know every single domino fell uh in a very specific way and it was the way that it couldn't fall for Penn State uh with in terms of opt-outs in terms of coaching changes in terms of uh how the schedule broke in terms of injuries in terms of this that and the third all these sorts of things and I try to be cognizant of that when i when I now present my second point, which is that in the spite of all of that, this does feel like a program at a bit of a crossroad, and it does feel like a program that I think could you really use a full audit of everything, a full audit of the offense a full audit of the defense, a full audit of special teams, of the road that is being traveled right now as a football program. Because as we've mentioned on this podcast a million times, there is a bar in the Big Ten. And Penn State is in a very unique position. Like, if you look at the... ACC in, in in most years not in a not 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 this year because the ACC did something a little different but you look at the, the ACC coastal in every season Clemson is the best team by a mile Louisville wake Florida State Boston College Syracuse NC state none of those programs are really programs that you anticipate ever being on Clemson's level. If you go down to the SEC and you look at the SEC West, like yeah, LSU has a year every now and then, Auburn has a year every now and then, A and M has a year every now and then, but there's still a very defined bar, and that's Alabama. And Alabama's the program every is the program every other program is measured up against. And I think we're seeing with LSU how hard it is to consistently clear that bar. LSU last year required a bunch of NFL caliber players and the greatest grad transfer quarterback in the sports history or the greatest transfer quarterback in the sports history. And they weren't able to sustain that. They're now a four and five football team. Penn state has a bar in Ohio state that I think is far more difficult to figure out how to get over than Alabama, than Clemson, uh, than Oklahoma in the big 12, all these sorts of things. And I think Penn State needs to sit down and say, Kirk Scirocco's offense with uh, Kirk Shiraka's quarterback, with Phil Trout lines offensive line, with Tyler Bowen's tight ends, with Jawan Sider's running backs, with Taylor Stubblefield's wide receivers. Is all of this a formula for getting us past Ohio State? Same on the defense. Brent Price, defense and linebackers. Uh, John Scott's defensive line. Terry Smith's cornerbacks, Tim Banks' safeties, Joel Org's specialists. Like, every single thing needs to be looked at, and tough decisions are going to have to be made, whether it's in terms of who's coaching these positions, whether it's in terms of how they play those positions, whether it's in terms of how they recruit those positions, whether that's in terms of what players are playing those positions once football starts back up. And I think we've seen in the end of this year that there are some real, really major reasons for optimism on both sides of the ball. Um, the pass catchers, the running backs, uh, the cornerbacks, the linebackers, some of the guys they have in this uh, all the defensive line. But now it's about figuring. Making the really tough decisions, the kind of really tough decisions we have not seen James Franklin have to make uh, since he fired John Donovan. So, that's kind of the 10,000 foot view of things uh, right here, Matt. You know, if you think I'm really off base with anything there, by all means go ahead and tell me, but... That, that that's just where i think penn state football is uh, as we're sitting here on uh, sunday december 13th
1: i think that's all fair i think um the challenge and i'm i'm glad it's it's james franklin dealing with it instead of me is to try and figure out what issues were unique to this bizarre 2020 season and what issues are longer term systemic issues, if you will. And I think the reason I'm optimistic, and I'm an optimistic person by nature um, when it comes, which is hilarious when you talk about being a Cleveland sports fan, which is a whole other discussion. But I tend to to take a positive view of of my sports teams. I just always have because who knows why. Maybe it's a, a coping mechanism. But with that said, I think the reason I'm optimistic that James Franklin is the guy that can figure this out is because he's made those hard decisions. Um, you know, he, he parted away with John Donovan, um, after two years and, and brought in a guy that, um, had a head coaching background. Um, a lot of head coaches, I would say don't like to do that because it's, you know, they're all type a alpha male kind of guys that are control freaks. And I think he took a step back and gave Joe Moorhead the, the keys to the offense. um, he took a, uh, he opted to not bring back Matt Lime Grover last year. Um, a guy that had by all accounts done great work and had improved the offensive line, but decided that to get to where they wanted to go, they need, that was a place they needed to make a change. So I, I have faith that he is capable of making those, those hard decisions. um, I'll be curious to see what those are. Um, this is a bizarre time of bizarre point in in time to be making those changes um, just from a, 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 a tangible standpoint, I guess, for lack of a better word, because of everything going on. But I think it also this year has presented an opportunity to kind of look at bigger picture things, like you said, and kind of evaluate, OK, you know, this this is where we're at as a program. You know, we, we dealt with some stuff and you know what works going forward and what doesn't.
0: Yeah, and I think that's a really good entry point into uh we're we're gonna hand out a few little superlatives here. Um starting with the thing that you were the most disappointed in, Matt, and I'll take this one to start. Um For me, I was really disappointed with Penn State's safety play this season. Um, I thought Sean Clifford is on this list, and quarterback play just in general is on this list, but I think that has the excuse of, uh, listen, learning a new offense, running game situation, and Pat Frymouth getting hurt, like all those sorts of things. So I think that's a little bit understandable. Uh, I also think maybe the offensive line, they were a top you know, 40 unit in the sport as opposed to a top 10 to 15 unit in the sport. So to an extent, them too. But to me, Penn State had two guys at safety who had played a whole lot of football in Jaquan Brisker and Lamont Wade, and I thought they both – they both should have been a whole he- hell of a lot better, I think. Like, I think Wade had a really tough year. Uh, he wasn't able to ball hawk as much. I-, I think that's the best element of his game. He just didn't have opportunities to ball hawk as much as um, a- 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 as much as we would have liked. And Brisker, uh, just did an up and down year for him, of course, and had a, had a pretty high note um, last week. I, I this past week, but uh, again, could uh could be better. Could have been better in the year. I think. Uh, where what were you the uh, most disappointed in as you look at this Penn State? Uh, look back on this Penn State season.
1: I think the biggest thing is probably the the, the two things that that when I saw the question that you were going to ask were quarterback play and linebackers. And the more I think about it, the more I'm inclined to say the biggest disappointment of those two for me was quarterback play because you had a returning starter there. Um, we've talked so much about how talented the linebacker group is, but I think when you look at it in a bigger picture, especially because of how bizarre this offseason was, you know they were replacing three starters from a year ago um, at at all three positions. And despite how, talent, how much talent they had at those spots, I think it's it's realistic to expect a learning curve there. And they didn't really have the typical type of learning curve that you would want um, in, in that situation. But with Clifford, you've got a guy who started what 12 or 13 games last year um, who I know it's a different offense, but it was an offense that was um, similar to what they've run. And even though he, he struggled at points last year. One thing he never really did with the exception of the, the Minnesota game was turn the ball over. And obviously that was a huge problem through the first half of the year. And um, that's just really disappointing from a guy that's fourth year in the program that you're really relying on because of all the oddities of, of this off season, you know, a guy that's kind of been through, through the ringers before as the starting quarterback has seen a lot um is certainly a leader among the team just the way he struggled and the way it really snowballed on itself um until he got pulled against Nebraska um I think among those two things is the most disappointing I think other than you know a couple specific position groups that we'll talk about here in a second I think you could make a case for a lot of positions and a lot of specific players on the team as being being the biggest disappointment
0: so let's move to something um, something a little bit more optimistic. Uh, just as we're looking back on the year, uh, the thing that made you the most excited and the thing that you're now the most excited about as we're going forward?
1: I would say um, the wide receivers just as a whole. And I know that's a kind of an easy answer because they were, as we've said 6,000 times, um the the position of the biggest question going into the year to put it mildly. Um but not just the way that that Parker Washington's played and the way that Dodson's really emerges as a number as that true number one guy. Um you know hopefully he's a guy that we that that comes back. Um you know I'm not gonna begrudge anyone for going going to the to the NFL, but as far as wanting to see what he can do, um with one more year I he's a guy that I would love to see play play one more season at Penn State but beyond those two guys Keandre Lambert Smith I think um has kind of flashed the potential that that we've heard about um and the inconsistency we've heard about but beyond that um just that group as a whole with the exception of Dotson it's just so young and I think what you're seeing already from some of those guys as young contributors makes me really excited for for what's to come and I think a, a a close second would be the play of of some of the young defensive backs, especially at corner. Um, you know, certainly not perfect, and we just talked about it with against Michigan State. But um, they have a, a a sophomore slash second year cornerback group that is really really good, and I think um, is a group that we should all be really excited about. Yeah, uh, I'm going to say the running
0: backs, if only because. Uh if you told me before the season that they would not have journey Brown and Noah Kane, I would have assumed that room was just dead on arrival. Um, I didn't think, you know, I I came into the season thinking journey Brown could establish himself as the best running back in college football. I came into the season thinking that Noah Kane, playing off of journey Brown could be in for a monster year. Instead, uh, Penn State had to be a little bit more, uh, What's the word I'm looking for? Um, egalitarian without spread out. It's carries Kayvon Lee We, uh, led the room 70 carries, 353 yards, three touchdowns, Devin Ford, 67 two seventy four and three Keziah Holmes, 39 and 150 yards. And I look at that and I like, I, I just see how Penn state going into next season. I hope they rely less on the quarterback run. Uh, You know, Sean Clifford's gotten better at it. Still not his game. Will Levis is a bit one dimensional as a runner. And also, like, they just have so much talent in their running back room that I just don't think that they need to like run the ball with their quarterbacks I'm like they can do so many different things with how good all of these guys uh in that running back room on and it just gets me really excited talking about that especially because I think having that kind of really consistent really um road y type of rushing attack makes things makes things easier on Sean Clifford and the easier you can make things on him I think the easier things are going to be uh for the season next uh, the team next season, just in general. Um, then to, uh, just to end this little segment, Matt, this can go in either direction, positive, negative, whatever it might be. The thing that you're most, the thing that surprised you the most about this season.
1: I, there's, oh gosh, a dozen different things you can say. I think, um, the, the way that things snowballed so quickly, you know, from, losing the Indiana game the way they did to, you know, really the, the depths of despair, you know, in the Maryland and Nebraska games, you know, I was a good football team and they certainly had their struggles there, but um, the way that that Indiana game really lingered, I think, I think if you got James Franklin and the coaching staff in an honest moment, they would say the same thing that, um, you know, they need to do a better job. But I think that Indiana game in the way it played out, especially at the end, I think really affected the next couple weeks and allowed things to get really out of control. I think when you break it down to specific position groups, I think the offensive line struggling um, for large portions of the season with, you know, it, it was surprising in a sense, but then you think about some of the, the things that have been talked about with how how much time, their time with Phil Troutline was limited um, as far as, you know, learning the th- sorts of things that he wants to do and how he, you know, him talking about how they had to rely on, on zoom calls and, and videos of, of guys in the NFL to demonstrate the sorts of, of techniques that he was trying to teach. Um, you know, some of those struggles make sense, but um, just from a team that, you know, I think one of the hallmarks of what James Franklin has done at Penn State since he's gotten here has been, they've been a pretty resilient team um, with a couple of notable exceptions, but um, man, they, the the way things got out of hand so fast, I think, you know, in in 10, 20 years, it'll still surprise you if you sit down and talk about it because it just happened. It felt like it happened very quickly. Yeah. I mean, I was, I'm going to say
0: as a, uh, positive the wide receiver play. We don't have to go on in, go into that anymore. Uh, but really, just how, just how things snowballed after Ohio State. Um, I went into that game I went into that game expecting a loss. I went into the Indiana game thinking Penn State was going to be in for a fight, but it would have came out on top. So, like the fact that they were 0 and 2 to start the season did surprise me a bit, but it didn't. Like, I I could have foreseen that happening. There was no planet coming into this season under which I would have thought Maryland would have gone for 405 yards on them and put up 35 points and won that game 35-19. to Uh, Which, I think you saw that hangover carry to Lincoln, and then, of course, Iowa just punked them. So that for for a negative, that was it for me. Just how that snowballed. I was really impressed with how they managed to turn things around, obviously, but uh that, that bummed me out quite a bit. Uh but Penn States managed to get over that hump. They're now three and five. Ending the season on Saturday, as we mentioned, against the Illinois Fighting Illini. Uh Matt will do a big preview pod end of this week, but I'm excited for this game, if only because it seems possible that it seems possible that Penn State's going to end this season on quite the high note because Illinois is uh, the unfortunate combination of a football team that can't score points and a football team that can't stop teams from scoring points.
1: Yeah, I, I, the extent of my knowledge of Illinois is based on the ESPN.com stat page that I have sitting in front of me. Um, they have. Three quarterbacks who have thrown at least 45 passes. Isaiah Williams, not that Isaiah Williams. Karan uh, Taylor. Okay, and, sorry, and, sorry, and sorry, Peters. sorry.
0: It is so wild they have a second quarterback named Isaiah Williams. If you do not, and, and for any youngins who might be listening to this podcast, if you don't know who the original Isaiah Williams is, please go look up Juice Williams. Because Matt, you, like, he he's one of the coolest, if not the coolest Big Ten quarterback of of the last two decades.
1: Oh, I loved him. And and that's only partially because he had one of the better upsets in, in recent big 10 memory when Illinois beat Ohio state in Columbus. Oh gosh, that's gotta be what 13, 14 years ago now. But, um, you know, those three quarterbacks have thrown, uh, a combined total of eight touchdowns, um, to three interceptions. Um, the one thing it appears that they do pretty well is they protect the quarterback, just 12 sacks allowed, um, in the seven games they've played, they did not play that Ohio State game um, because of Ohio State's COVID issues. Um, they run the ball all right. They've got um, Chase Brown um, averaging over five yards a carry. Mike Epstein averaging almost six yards a carry. Um, Isaiah Williams averaging over like six yards a carry as a runner. Um, and, and Brandon Peters, their kind of number one quarterback who also missed some time with COVID. Um, he's run the ball pretty well as well. Um, but as you said, they do not score very much. They've have 16 total touchdowns in those those seven games on offense, um, and they have given up a lot more. I don't have those numbers right here in front of me, but um, they're they're averaging just 20 points a game. Um, they apparently have one defensive touchdown or special teams because it shows 17 touchdowns. But um, from the little bit that I I did see them and the little bit I've read, um, just in kind of some of these early previews, is they play hard. Um, they're just, you know, the, the issue as it's been for Illinois for a long time has been just overall talent. And I think Lovey did a lot of good things there, but, um, you know, ultimately in, in five years, they won just 17 games. So, um, this seems like an opportunity to, to get a fourth straight win. And, um, the, the one thing is more than anything that I think has me excited, I guess would be the best word. Is the players seem like they're like they're excited to keep playing? I think the way they've come out and, and won three straight, and especially the second half against Michigan State, I think ha- feels like it has them a, has some energy back in the program, and among the team. And um, not that I begrudge any of the teams. Um, there's a bunch of them throughout the country that have um, opted out of, of playing bowl games, um, just given the the unique circumstance they've they've played in this year. Um, but I think the fact that it, by all accounts, Penn state wants to keep playing and the players want to keep playing. I think it's, um, it's exciting to see what they can do. Cause I think, uh, a motivated team, um, is, is something that can, can benefit them in certainly this weekend and presumably going forward to, to, uh, whatever bowl game they might potentially pay in.
0: Yeah. Uh, Michigan, not Michigan state, uh, Penn state just played Michigan state. Uh, Illinois, uh, they're very much a program. In the bits that I have seen of them this year, I think everyone understands that um, that that Lovey Smith wasn't exactly hired to turn them into a juggernaut. I mean, Illinois football had a, a real, real, real stink on it after uh Tim Beckman's tenure there uh ended they brought in uh Bill Cubit that didn't end uh you, you, you know they they ended after one year they just needed literally anything uh and they ended up going to uh they ended up going to Levy Smith and he has brought I mean Illinois they play hard Illinois they're not a gigantic laughing stock they're ninth uh, in the Big Ten, in uh, twenty-four sevens team talent composite. So, there are some good players on this team. Uh, they've been able. There have been games this season where they have been able to run the ball uh, a little bit. They are actually second in the Big Ten in rushing yards per game. So, that's going to be a really interesting test for uh Penn State's front seven. Uh, with Illinois having a pair of pretty solid running backs in Chase Brown and uh Mike Epstein. It, it, there is going to be some quarterback dependent stuff here. Uh Brandon Peters, formerly uh for, former Michigan legend Brandon Peters can move a bit but he's not uh the tuck and run sort of guy. He's more of a thrower. Uh Williams is more of the dual threat type of quarterback. Uh, So we'll have to see what Michigan State, uh, not Michigan State, I I have just that on the brain, Illinois ends up doing um, from that perspective. But like you mentioned, Matt, I I just want to see how uh, Penn State ends this season, Uh, to what extent they end this season. Like, I would really love it if they end up having, uh, you know, ending this season with one more game after this, they end up getting, uh, an invite to a bowl game. Uh, if memory serves, uh, I want to say it was, uh, Tyler Donahue at 24 seven. Um, did a piece, uh, yeah, Tyler did a piece where Penn state players discussed potentially, uh, going to a bowl game and just whatever that ends up looking like. Uh, I hope, they uh, end up doing it. Jaquan Brisker said, of course we want to uh, play in a bowl if that's possible. Jahan Dotson said definitely and absolutely they want to do that. So, uh, you know, if Penn State's players would be comfortable with doing it, I hope Illinois is not the last game of the season. But if it is, at least it's a chance to go out on top. Uh, and I don't know about you, Matt, but if they end this wretched year 5-5 five and five after such a terrible start, I'd feel pretty good about that, and I certainly trust that James Franklin would find a way to spin that to recruits to one extent or another.
1: Yeah, I think that's the 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 two biggest things are, um, you know, obviously the the winning record streak is over. But if they can find a way back to five hundred, when out of that Iowa game, we were wondering if they were going to win one game, um, and if they can find a way to, to win five. And and look, you know, it's dumb and stupid, but the the fact is that. Wins and being and being able to sell your program in a positive light is a huge part of recruiting, and um, you know Penn State has this pretty solid 2022 class, um, uh, the the beginnings of it with six or seven kids committed, um, all of whom are four stars now, by the way. Um, it's it's the kind of thing that matters, and you know the social media promotions and going out um, when they're able to down the road and talking with with high school players and coaches and getting kids back on campus when that happens, hopefully in the spring Um, that matters. And I think too, from a, just the energy around the program and, and spending an off season um, in the weight room and training and through spring practice and into the summer going into that with the momentum of, of a five game winning streak matters. You know, you've got some, some positive energy Um, and it's, you know, when you're, when you're dealing with a bunch of um, you know, 18 to 22 year old ish kids, that that kind of thing matters, you know, being able to, to sell the positive. And I think I wrote about it on the site, um, this week and how, emo- how big of a part the the mental and emotional part of the game is and the relationships are for James Franklin. I think no one likes losing, but I think it impacts him a lot more than a lot of other coaches just by his, his personality and, and the way he runs his program. I think, um, you, you've seen it in the way he's talked, you know, his, his Wednesday press conference last week, just having more of that, that old type of energy that we've gotten used to back in, back in him, um, I think is telling. And I think having that five game winning streak and that, that positive energy is going to benefit the program in a lot of ways if they're able to do it.
0: Yeah. And, uh, speaking of recruiting, uh, Matt, I think people should, uh, should be on the lookout because we're going to have some fun stuff on the site coming, uh, coming a little later this week because Wednesday uh, for those who don't know is a pretty big day in the
1: recruiting world. Yeah, it is the what fourth annual third annual, something like that early yeah. signing period. Um, which runs for, I believe it's three days, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Um, and Penn state is going to be signing. I believe it's, they expect to sign at least 15 or 16 kids. Um, there's a couple more that, um, one, uh, Deshaun Murrell, a high three-star running back from Alabama, that um, decommitted from UCLA um, in the last few weeks that um, Penn State has been linked to. He's expected to announce the decision on Wednesday. Um, There's a handful of other guys that um, are at varying points. Um, I think what you're going to see in a lot of cases is a lot of these guys that haven't announced decisions yet or um, have decommitted recently or now with um, Auburn especially, the big name, um, firing Gus Malzahn uh, today on Sunday – that you're going to see a number of guys opt to wait till the traditional signing period in February. Um, probably more than we've gotten used to since this early signing period came to be. Um, but I think Penn state's signing a smaller class, 16 commits. Um, but they've found their way back into the top 20, which is tough to do with a class that size. Um, they're going to add a couple more by all, by all indications. Um, at some point, um, so I will have uh, coverage of every, every player as they sign on, on Wednesday, we will have um, some podcasts later in the week, recapping the offensive defensive signees. Um We'll have some bigger picture posts on the site as far as, um, you know, what to expect on signing day. Um, some superlatives on, on uh, the class as a whole and some look aheads to what we'll see in the spring. So, Um, It'll be a busy week on the site. Plus, we've got a football game, believe it or not, to prepare for on December 19th. That's right. And make sure you're uh, keeping
0: up to date with everything. By doing all the stuff that I'm going to do here in one moment, because this is how I end every podcast. Thank you very much for listening to this edition of Rural Lions Radio. Make sure you're following along with us on all of our various social media channels. Make sure you keep reading and supporting the site. Best way to do that, as always, is to make sure you are going out and buying t-shirts, hoodies, whatever we have in our store. And make sure you're subscribing to the podcast where, wherever podcasts are found, uh, and if you decide you are going to use Apple Podcasts, do us a favor, leave us a five-star review. We'd really appreciate that. Uh, One last time, thank you very much for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. For my co-host, Matt DeBear, I'm Bill DeFilippo. Take care, everyone.